Welcome back to another episode of Tied Together. I'm Kostov Bhattacharya and I'm the CTO at Cohesis where we design and build world-class digital products and services. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Headley Smith, founder and CEO at Homebox. When Homebox started a few years back, their mission was to help homeowners get a holistic view of all their services and bills ranging from broadband, energy and beyond. Over time, Homebox has pivoted more to a business-to-business-to-consumer model. At the heart of the business is data and its power to shape the current and future services and business model of Homebox. We delve into all of this with Headley and continue to explore the power of data to drive digital transformation for businesses and their customers. Hello, Headley. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. It's very good to talk to you and catch up. It's been ages. Yeah. Thanks for coming on to the podcast with me today. So for the benefit of our listeners, please give us a quick introduction on yourself. Tell us a bit about your general background and your career and where you've been in and out of up until the point right here and now with your current job. Yeah, sure. I've been involved in the tech industry for a while. I taught myself how to program at a younger age, quite a while ago now. And from there, I developed a real interest in technology in general. I started a web development agency about 10 years ago. And from there, I learned more about running businesses and branched out into other startup pursuits. And that brings me up to today, where around three years ago, I founded Homebox, which is what I'm here to talk about today. Right. Thanks for that introduction. So what really led you to start up Homebox? Tell us about that. What was the spark that got that idea going? Yeah, sure. I was working in a property technology startup prior to Homebox. It was a really exciting time in prop tech. I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, there was a rise of digitization in the space. And yeah. I saw the potential because there was a lot of digitization around the home moving process. So buying a home, renting a home, that sort of thing, which is great. But I really saw the potential to do more after you move into a home, setting up your bills, managing the home. And what really interested me was the idea of digitizing the household admin and the bills and those sorts of things. So that was the real spark which led me to Homebox. And since then, it's been quite a journey that's kind of taken many different turns, I would say. Wow, that sounds like a really interesting space to be in. There's a lot of different companies trying to solve problems within the home, whether it's the smart home, whether it's looking after your bills and negotiating on your behalf and so on. You must have had an original idea that you started off with. But along the journey that you've been on, have you had any pivots? And can you tell us about those? Yeah, absolutely. Homebox started as a B2C brand, trying to market directly to consumers, which we had some success with that. But I think I was probably slightly naive in thinking how easy it might be. And so the big pivot that we've had is to start to be more of a B2B company or B2B2C, I suppose you could call it. Where did you start at the beginning? Like what was the idea that started the business and how did that change to where you are now? As I said, the big vision was to digitize the home and create a digital representation of all of the household bills that you have, everything you pay to run your home. 
And what we ended up doing to make that a reality was starting to focus on energy switching. You move into a home, we set up with a new energy supplier and everything. And the big change that happened was that marketing directly to consumers in that space is really hard. So we figured out, well, we've got some good technology and there's lots of other people who could use this technology. So we've started to get more and more people who are interested in that side of things. Nice. Data, I guess, is central to a lot of what you do. You're constantly collecting information, if not just about the customer, but about the devices in their homes, the utilities that they're using, the bills, and so on and so forth. And it sounds like without some good firepower in terms of the ability to process data, make sense out of what that data is trying to tell you about your customers or your business, you'd be missing a trick. So tell us about how important data has been for your business. Yeah, so data we use in a few different places. One of the most obvious places is the database we maintain of all of the different energy tariffs in the UK. So there's a lot of data there. There's at any given time around 200 active energy tariffs. And of each of those tariffs, they have around 80 different pricing bands. And those pricing bands are complex sets of data in themselves. That's a big job maintaining that. So we get a feed of energy tariffs from many different energy suppliers and that feeds into our central database and then on top of that we have an energy comparison algorithm which runs on top of that so that's not really customer data but it's a lot of data there the customer data itself is a separate service as i would describe it in the architecture of homebox that's a really interesting area i think when you sign up with homebox or if you sign up through one of our partners we will try to create a digital representation of your home and try to help understand all of the different services you're using, the utilities in your home, and map that onto a data schema effectively. Now, I'd say we're just at the start of our journey on really figuring out how to best use that data. So at the moment, we're trying to store it really effectively and we do some stuff with it. It's mostly transactional, but we haven't yet really explored what I think will be hugely interesting things that could be done with that data. As you say, smart home devices could be plugged into that. You could ask your Alexa or whatever home hub you use, how much do I have to pay on my energy bill? Or if we look even further into the future, like, is it a good time to charge my electric vehicle tonight? That could then go behind the scenes. We could check out the best energy tariff that we could use to switch you to, because in the future, you'll be able to switch energy tariffs day by day. So we could figure out the best energy tariff to switch you to. And we could say, well, actually, it would be better to charge our home batteries tonight or for, for this period of time, charge your EV at another time or whatever. That's the vision. And that's what we're hoping to do. So we're trying to get the data in a shape we can do that with. But right now, the customer data itself is more used for practical transactional stuff. How do you use data to look at your own business and how efficiently it's running do you use some of that data that you're collecting to go, hmm, so we started this business off offering X, but actually the data is showing us that if we set up a couple of experiments to prove or disprove a hypothesis that we have around what the data is indicating in terms of customer reach or customer engagement, could it perhaps improve the business? Do you do any of that stuff with the data that you have inside the business? Yeah, we do. There's a few different places that we use data to measure and try to improve. Firstly, there's the basic stuff like using Google Analytics and those sorts of things to gather insights into how people are using the products that we have. 
We also use a really great product called Amplitude. It's similar to Mixpanel. It's a bit more undercover. I feel like not that many people use it, but it's great. And it's completely free as well, up to like a million events per month, which is fantastic. So we use Amplitude a lot and we feed in loads of events of customer interaction, all anonymized, of course. And then we measure how people are interacting with the product and where they're dropping off, where they're having trouble, where they're spending a lot of time doing something. That's a really valuable tool for us to be able to see what's working, what's not. And it also gives us a bit of an oversight into more long-term trends of whether people are managing to set up their energy accounts effectively and continuing whether there's a trend of 10 or 20 or 30% of people are managing to do that effectively, whether that's continuing into the future. There's also another really interesting side to how we measure and try to improve, and that's more like the back end. So we process a large number of energy account switches or setups, and we have a dashboard which measures every stage in that process because it's actually quite a complex process. We then work with energy suppliers and they feed back data to us. There's all sorts of crazy things that you might not even realize would happen when you're setting up an energy account. Like you could end up where your electricity meter, the records are not quite accurate in the national database. And that's fine. But then the energy supplier could end up having an issue with that delays your energy switch. So we get that fed back to us. And we have this huge dashboard where we're looking at all the different things that are happening with all of those processes. And each energy supplier is different. So we measure the performance of each energy supplier across the different stages of account setup and everything as well. Energy switching is something that you just mentioned there. It's a really fascinating area. There's so many competitors out there trying to do the same thing. And in a way, when I think about energy switching, it can be fairly dumb in the sense that a switcher might be just looking at the cheapest possible deal in the market and then moving you on to that 12-month introductory deal. And then 12 months down the road, just as that deal is about to expire, they sweep the market again and look for the next cheapest deal to move you on to. What are your thoughts about that? And where do you see data providing a bit more intelligence in the way switching services switch you? Is it just a case of blindly switching customers from one tariff and one deal to another? Or do you think there's a more clever way of harnessing data to be able to do that in a more dynamic and active way using market information, tariff information, and so on? It's a really interesting area. And I would say that is an area where my opinions have changed over the past few years. When I started Homebox, it was very much focused on saving people as much money as possible, trying to build the ability to automatically switch people to the cheapest tariff. There are other popular services which do similar things. That didn't really work out for us. I actually built a system which could switch to any energy tariff. So most other or every other service, in fact, that's free to use will only switch you to a small number of tariffs, the ones which pay them, which is fine. However, for the end user, you're not going to get the very cheapest deal. So I built a system which could switch you to any energy tariff, which no one had done before, and at least for free. The challenge with that was that people just didn't believe that it, people were like, really? That seems too good to be true. I don't trust it. What resonated more with them was when you said, we're not going to switch you to any energy tariff. We're going to switch you to a set of suppliers who we know and we trust, and they're good suppliers and they're cheap as well. So we found that strangely giving people not the absolute cheapest deal, but focusing on a set of suppliers who were good, 
who provided good customer service, who we vetted, worked better. So that was interesting. And we do that much more now. So now we work with a smaller number of energy suppliers, but we make sure they're good suppliers. We work closely with them so we can provide much more timely updates to our customers. And we will always make sure they're on a good deal, for sure. If people do want the very cheapest deal, unfortunately, the very cheapest suppliers are often ones which do not have very good customer service. So yes, you could create some intelligence around switching to the very cheapest tariffs, but you might end up in a bad position where you're getting stuck between suppliers, things are happening where you're ending up paying money you shouldn't, and those sorts of things. So it's not as straightforward as you might think on that front. There's also an interesting area that will be becoming more and more relevant And that is high frequency energy switching. So at the moment, it takes between two and three weeks to fully switch energy supplier. Ofgem, the industry regulator, are bringing in next day switching. So you'll be able to switch supplier every 24 hours in theory from sometime next year. So that's going to change things a lot. That really opens up the possibility, coupled with smart metering, to be able to switch energy suppliers more frequently And to be able to bring in things like, as I mentioned earlier, smart tariffs, looking at your time of day that you're charging your batteries or your car and those sorts of things. It's not yet clear about what's going to happen, whether people are really going to switch every day or every other day, or whether energy suppliers will put things in place to prevent that. It's a complex system because you've got suppliers, you've got switching sites, you've got the customer, and then you've got Ofgem all in this constant dance of trying to get things that work for themselves. Yeah, I really like your story about the trust factor as well. I can resonate with that personally, having been on a switching service now for the last five years or so. Occasionally, I've been switched to suppliers that they had their challenges. And certainly from a customer services perspective, there are a few moments I remember when I think back over the last few years where I had some issues and problems with my suppliers. I think that is probably one of the main factors that I personally consider when switching to a particular supplier. Are they a known name? But also, I think you bring up a really interesting idea around this rapid switching concept, right? You know, me as a consumer, I would prefer to get my energy, especially my electricity supply from a provider that has the bulk of their energy generation from renewables. That's more of a philosophical thing for myself. Other people probably don't care about that. They just want to switch to the cheapest possible. So I guess there's a lot of different variables in there to think about. It's not just a robo type of setup where an algorithm switches you automatically, but there needs to be that human in the loop. Like you were saying earlier, where you have to check on the quality of the supplier, but you also need to know some of the more subtle nuances of what your customers want as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the business energy world, which is very different from the domestic energy world, you will typically have a broker who will speak with you about your business and your needs and find you a suitable energy supplier and broker a deal. So that's a great example of where a human is used completely. There's a lot of similarities with this and prop tech and the digitization of uh, estate agents. Many people thought that estate agencies could be fully digitized. It could have a really big market share. People were thinking maybe 50% of all property transactions could be fully digital, no human touch at all. And what works well is a hybrid approach where you have a human involved, but it's heavily digitized. And I think with energy, you don't really need a person to talk you through switching because you can do it 
online, but it's beneficial to have people at least looking and reviewing the deals that are presented and putting a little bit more thought into things rather than just a dumb approach. Let's just switch you quickly and save you the most money because it can backfire, definitely. If we rewind a bit back to what you were talking about earlier around the way you use data in your business, there is an element of conversion rate optimization always going on in a business like yours or any business really that's trying to get a customer through a funnel through the beginning of the purchase journey, making the decisions, doing their research, then coming out the other end of the funnel and either committing to signing up or transacting in some other kind of way. And in doing that analysis, I guess there's a lot of different methods and tools and approaches that you can use. For example, A-B testing the layout of your website, how the information is conveyed to the customer, doing interviews, so research with existing customers or potential future customers. It's a pretty complex area and you can do so many different things to optimize your business. Tell us a little bit about how you've gone about that conversion rate optimization for Homebox. Yeah, I agree. Conversion rate optimization is essential. You can't not do it because if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it and create a better product than you. So it's a constant thing. There's always an experiment or two running. There are some times when there are more experiments running. The many different front ends that we have all have the ability to A-B test down to a component level. So we've built that in. We don't use anything like Optimizely. We run it through Amplitude, actually, which is not the most sophisticated, but it does what you need it to. So yeah, we're constantly testing different variations of design, different call to actions, different copy, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, it's a funny one because you can invest a lot of time into it and sometimes not get that many results. You kind of just get incremental increases, which over time is good. But what you really want is just like a big spike. And sometimes that happens. And that's fantastic. You know, we A-B tested a different layout for the page where we show the different deals you could switch to. And we doubled the conversion rate through one test, which is huge. What we did was instead of just showing every single deal in a long list, as you might do in a traditional comparison view, we highlighted deals that we thought you would like. So if we thought that you were interested in renewable energy, as you mentioned earlier, we would highlight this is a really great company for renewable energy. And that worked really well. So that's a great example of it working. Interviews and customer feedback. Yeah, I find what works really well for that is... Most emails that you send out, making sure that there's an email that people can reply to, making sure that at the end of the funnel, at the end of the journey, you ask people for a review, making sure that you have a live chat on your website. Those sorts of things seem quite obvious, but it's easy to cut them out and just think it's overhead. We're not going to be able to answer questions all the time, but you get great feedback because when there's any problems, people let you know about it. You get occasionally people telling you, we really like your product, but it'd be great if it did this other thing as well. Tell us a bit about the widgets and the APIs that you have uh, as part of the Homebox service. It's something that I would say personally, I find relatively unique in Homebox. There aren't that many energy switching services out there or just service switching services out there that openly provide these kind of APIs and widgets. How do those come about and how are your partners and others using those widgets and APIs? Well, one of the things which inspired the pivot toward a more platform-oriented approach, I would describe it as, was that when I was starting Homebox, 
I found it really difficult to get the data I needed. I found it really hard to engage with the parties in the industry who could provide an API to help you compare and switch to energy deals. Broadband is okay, actually, strangely, but energy was just really difficult. So I thought, well, there's an opportunity. There's tons of startups who want to do this, and yet it's so difficult to actually implement it. So, yeah, we've ended up building a whole service where we can provide that for others, and people really like that. So we have full API, which we use for comparing and switching energy supply. We also have a beta API to do the things I was talking about with digitizing the whole home. So the next stage will be that you don't just do the energy comparison through our API. You can set up a home, you can add all of the different services. And then from that, we could maybe recommend products and services that the customer might like or provide the ability to manage all of those services in one place. And then in front of that, we have a drop-in widget, which is basically a front end to our API. Most startups we work with don't have time to implement a full API to test out whether this is really going to work. So it's massively useful to just be able to drop in a few lines of JavaScript code and have a fully functioning energy comparison and switching system just right there in the app. So yeah, that's a React.js app that is bundled up and just drops in through JavaScript. I don't think anyone else is doing that in the space, which I think is why people like it, because it's super quick to implement. It's a great idea. And I love the fact that startups who are trying to create a new service or offering can leverage these APIs to accelerate their path to market. I remember, sadly, that I'd been using a service for about two years, and it was amazing. They've they've now gone out of business, but they allowed me to upload various types of bills into their system so I could put up my TV license bill, I could put up my broadband, and various other bills that I have coming into my home. And they would scan the bills They would look at when my deal was coming to an end and they would alert me as to that I'm a month away from my current really good deal that I'm locked into and my broadband is coming to an end. It's a month away. And I found it amazing. It enabled me to call up that supplier of that service and go, hey, I've been a loyal customer for the last 10 years, yet I'm paying over the odds for a broadband service, whereas your competitors are charging nearly half the price. What can you do about that? Otherwise, I'm going to switch. And I guess it's not really in the psyche and the mindset of a lot of Brits to do that kind of haggling and that bartering on the phone with their energy supply or broadband supplier, whatever the service might be. But I used to do that. And I found that fascinating. I know that in other countries, for example, in the US, there are similar services where they take it to another stage where they're not just telling you that your deal is coming to an end, but they will negotiate on your behalf and haggle with the supplier to bring your costs down. And obviously, there's a cost involved there for the people using that service. They'll charge you a fee for that. But more often than not, you ended up having far lower bills by using a service like that. So I think it's great that you're empowering startups and other businesses to accelerate to market by leveraging some of your APIs. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're an exception with phoning up and haggling. I mean, there's a fact people who who like to do that, myself included, but most don't probably, unfortunately. But now I'm aware of the service you're talking about. It's a real shame it didn't work because I just love the idea of centralizing all of your bills in one place. And it has to happen one day. One day, you know, absolutely got to happen. I think it makes so much sense. Did you find it worked most of the time? Because I know they were doing basically web scraping, automating, logging in and grabbing your data. Did it work? Okay. Exactly. Yeah, it did have teething problems. So it got better and better over time. 
And in fact, it was almost bang on perfect about a month before it closed down, or rather a month before the founder sent out that email to all of his customers to say that sadly the business was being wound up in the next couple of months. And for example, for our listeners who aren't in the UK, we have this thing in the UK called television license, which you could consider an attack that the BBC impose on anyone who has access to live television to content from the BBC. And I found that that integration was quite problematic for a long time, but eventually they managed to fix it. And then I think the BBC, somewhere on the back end of their services, they implemented some kind of security measure to prevent scrapers from scraping information off their service and then that stopped working. But I guess when you're in the business of scraping, you're always going to run into those kind of problems. I remember the financial services industry grappling for a long, long time with screen scraping and the various problems and challenges that brings until open banking came into force and the various standardized APIs that allowed you to do that in a secure and permissioned way came into being. And then that solved that problem. But I think that particular service that we both used, they did have a lot of challenges with the scraping approach. Yeah, no, it's a shame. And it's a shame that the suppliers didn't want to work with them more readily because it's something I considered doing with Homebox, even the name, it makes sense to do something like that. I think there's enough people that would find it really useful that would just sign up as you signed up yourself and they got a good number of customers. But it's not a killer feature. It's not a painkiller. It's more like a vitamin, I guess, is the way you could talk about it. But I think in the future, surely we have to come to a point where we have more standardized ways of getting that data from the suppliers. And I speak to suppliers all the time, energy companies and other home service suppliers, and they are more interested and more clued up about how they shouldn't protect that data. They should let it be accessible because it makes so much more sense. If they don't, then they're going to get left behind anyway. And it is what is right to do for the consumer. That's really what they should focus on, I think. Hadley, it's been a pleasure having you on the Tide Together podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. 